Hello everyone, welcome to Unpacked with me, David Barry, the pastor of Pitlochry Baptist Church here in the very heart of Scotland. Unpacked is a podcast where we get to hear from some invited guests as they share encouragements, insights and experiences of how to follow Jesus in this current moment. So grab a moment, find some space and let's see what gets unpacked. So hello and welcome I have here with me today over Zoom because of lockdown restrictions uh, a great wee guy called Mark Fleming, Reverend Mark Fleming if I give you your Sunday name and Mark is a friend that I've known for maybe 20 years. For those of you who don't know, one of the roles I have in Pitlochry is that I'm the chaplain to St Johnson Football Club and we might talk about that a little bit more as we just unpack in this podcast. But I've been a chaplain since 2001. Initially, it was with Still and Albion, where Ray Stewart, the great Scotland and West Ham legend, was my uh, manager. And, and now for the last, I guess, eight or nine seasons, I've been the chaplain at St. Johnson, especially I was a chaplain when they won the Scottish Cup, which was significant. <laughs> um, but Mark... Tell us a wee bit about you, where you are, what your role is, and, and can you start this off by just giving us a wee history of chaplaincy and football but in, in sport in Scotland? Sure, David. Great to be with you on this podcast. And as you say, we've known each other for many years. I started as a, a football chaplain just three years before you in 1998, so last century. And it was at Partick Thistle Football Club, Glasgow's biggest team. And the situation there was that uh, if anyone knows much about football in that eight, in, during that time, Partick Thistle had a real financial uh, problem. They were facing potential oblivion because of financial difficulties. And the manager at the time felt he was more like a social worker and a counsellor than he was a football coach. And whilst he was wanting to focus and get getting 11 fit players on the park on a Saturday to win three points. He was having to field a whole load of questions from them about their livelihoods, yeah. having to listen to all their worries and woes. And he essentially said to the directors, look, you know, you need to get someone else to deal with all the non-football stuff yeah. and let me focus on the football. And that was the basis in which they brought me in. So really, as a listening ear, a sounding board, shoulder to cry on, somebody to talk to in confidence about all non-football related mm -hmm. matters. Um, something that was very new. I don't. I think there was other clubs in Scotland at that time had somebody they would call a chaplain, but I don't know that any of them would have maybe done things exactly yeah. the same as, as things developed at Partick Thistle. And tell me, was that John Boyers who set that up for you? No, no, John John came in a few years later, actually. So what happened was... I. I I just uh, I knew one of the directors of the club. In fact, the guy who was responsible for, for saving the club, starting the Save the Jags campaign. And so I came in without any formal training, without any understanding of what a football chaplain did. Snap. Um, so it was just a case really of building relationships of trust with people. So they knew me, they liked me, they trusted me. Hmm. Um, to facilitate that, the manager suggested a train with the players. Hmm. So they gave me my own kit. Um, we had two cracking kitmen they're called Ricky and Chico and on the front they put Rev and on the back of my, my training top they put God's wee mate <laughs> so they, they could uh, identify me um, and, and for, really for those, for those who was, don't know you're about five foot one is that right add another six inches to that <laughs> well five inches but uh, yeah I, I'm quite wee so it's fair to say that so 
Yeah, I, I, I basically was pastorally proactive. If I saw any player struggling with anything, then I would approach them sensitively, seek to support them. Didn't really have a clue what I was doing. Um, discovered there was one or two other clubs in, in the country that had uh, somebody they referred to as a chaplain. One of those guys was a chap called Jimmy Dowds, uh, who was at Dunfermline Athletic. Yeah, yeah. And Jimmy told me of this guy, John Boyers, who was the chaplain at Manchester United. And he said, we should really get him up to Scotland and you know, hear from him, find out how he does it down south, because he must know what he's doing. Mm-hmm. So John Boyers came up to Dunfermline. We met at East End Park, and he shared with us what he did at Man United with Sir Alex Ferguson. And at the time, I thought, wow, that's great. We're basically doing the same thing, except we just put a kilt on what we do. You know, we just <laughs> adapt it to Scottish football. So it was a few years later after I started at Thistle that I made contact with John, but he was a phenomenal yeah. encouragement. And he certainly encouraged me to speak to other clubs and so the idea of really developing chaplaincy within the game back and then. So was that when SCORE, which uh, was the organisation that John started and was director of, I guess, is that when SCORE made inroads into Scotland? To a certain extent, it was very uh, it was very informal. You know, John, John recognised that the English model for chaplaincy wouldn't necessarily work exactly the same in Scotland. And so he, he had certainly tried to pioneer chaplaincy within Scottish football, but had been largely unsuccessful. And and part of the reason, I think, was that it's so important within, within Scottish football, within most cultures, to know people within the game, know people who already trust you and have a relationship with you. And then through that, they recommend it to others. So what happened for me was that we had a player, Ray Montgomery, mm. um, who's the Kilmarnock legend, Captain Kelly, when they won the 1997 Scottish Cup against Falkirk. And he came and, and finished off his career at Thistle. So we, we got really close. Um, and when he left Thistle after his retirement, he went to work behind the scenes at Kilmarnock. And he spoke to uh, Jim Jeffries and Billy Brown, the, the team management there, and Dave McKinnon, who was the chief executive, and said, look, can, can I recommend the concept of having a chaplain? I had a chaplain at Partick Thistle. I think it would work well here. Mm. So they invited me to Kilmarnock to speak to them about it. And uh, they, they invited me to get somebody in. So I brought in a friend, Neil Urquhart, mm-hmm. who came in and did a fantastic job. Same idea as what I did at Thistle. Trained with the players, got to know them, built up relationships of trust. Um, and, you know, a very similar format, similar to what you did at Stirling Albion as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so it was myself, there was you, there was Neil, there was Jimmy Dowds, there was one or two others. And, you know, clubs talk to each other and, and people move on in football. And when they moved on, um, you know, they would they would say, well, yeah, we, we could really do with somebody here that does that. So the next step really was Ray was good pals with a guy called Gus McPherson, who was the manager of St Mirren. And he recommended it to Gus. Gus said, yeah, that's fine. I put in a guy called Hugh Chalk. And that's how it really grew. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the big the big kind of turning point came when I met a guy called Jim Fleeting, who was the SFA's technical director. And he was in charge of all the, the, the coaching courses down at Largs at Inverclyde. And he invited me down to do a, a seminar on uh, what chaplaincy could offer within the game. So I called the seminar more than two legs on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I opened up by saying, if all you do is see your players as a physical commodity, that's all you'll get. But if you recognise they've got mental, emotional and spiritual needs and you seek to look after them in those areas, 
then you'll get a better player out of that. Mm-hmm. And, and what's more, I can provide that very person for you for free. He's mm-hmm. called the chaplain. And and after that, it just exploded. Mm-hmm. And doors began opening up. Within four years, we grew from that small handful of us to 22, more than half the SPFL. Mm-hmm. And by that stage, you really felt now we're in a position of strength and it's becoming norm. And, and clubs don't like to feel they're missing out on anything. Uh, they might have a wee advantage over somebody else. And then it just continued to, to grow and grow and grow. But this wasn't uh, your full-time job. You were a, a pastor in Kosaith. So how did all of that develop and change? You know, we're starting to see in Scotland chaplains within clubs, uh, not just for the players, obviously, but for the club as a whole and even staff. And and there's a few of us who are in place, but you're in Kosaith. So where, where's the change and the development and the growth in that? I have to say I was really blessed to be pastor of Kosaith Community Church because they were such a mission-minded church. They, they thought out with the four walls, so to speak, not only of the church, but even of the town. Now, I actually became the chaplain of Partick Thistle the same month as I uh, moved to, to Kosaith as the pastor. And I remember meeting with the leaders and saying, look, I've got this opportunity to be chaplain to Partick Thistle. It's going to take up a Friday morning. It's going to take up most of Saturday. How do you feel about that? Because it's going to eat into my time as pastor. And they said, look, we feel this would be great for you because it will be a release from all the pressures of local church ministry. And um, it will be good for us because your sword will be sharp working in that area, you know, a very secular field. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we want to give you 100% back and we, we'll even cover, cover your traveling expenses. Is that right? okay. So that they were so open hearted um, and, and that was great. So when it began to grow, the church then released me two days a week to go and develop it further. Um, somebody had come into Sports Chaplaincy with, with the offer of funding to allow me to go two days a week. So that funding was put directly to our church and that meant, you know, it was less financial pressure on them too mm-hmm. uh, because they were able to reduce their input into my salary. But then when, when we finally got to the point where it was growing into the Highland League, Lowland League, Women's Premier League, it soon became clear that two days a week wasn't going to be enough. And so they made the ultimate sacrifice where they were prepared to release me to go full time. Um, so I have so much to thank God for, for, for that church because of their open heartedness towards me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was there 16 years, latter two years, part time. Yeah. And then they released me all together mm-hmm. uh, when I had the opportunity to go full time. So a lot um, has happened in that time. You, you mentioned... Uh, just football, but uh, what is now, was it Sports Chaplaincy Scotland, uh, which was under the umbrella of SCORE, which was predominantly football, but Sports Chaplaincy Scotland is not predominant, well, isn't just football. Tell us a wee bit about that ministry. Yeah, it's certainly not. Now, I mean, we, we have over 120 chaplains in Scotland. However, I have to tell you, 115 of them are in football. So we're, in the fact, that's wrong. There's 125 chaplains now, okay. 115 of whom are in football. But it has grown. So we we became Sports Chaplaincy Scotland in 2011, officially, at the time that SCORE changed its name to Sports Chaplaincy UK. And so 
we, we kind of connected with them and, and are now very much a part of Sports Chaplaincy UK. Our chief executive is a guy called Warren Evans and he's just, he's a class act. He's a great guy. And what I love about him is he very much takes a four nations approach to leading Sports Chaplaincy UK. So he doesn't impose an English view or style of chaplaincy. He recognises that we are Scotland. We are a different culture. We have a different way of doing things. Uh, the same with Wales and Northern Ireland. And so the four national directors, including Warren, we meet together once a month and we pray together. We move the whole charity forward together. The four nations have an equal say in, in the way that Sports Chaplaincy UK should move forward. I think it's a great model. <laughs> but um, yeah, so, so that's really helpful. And But what has happened is because of the tremendous work that the chaplains have done within football, what gets around? And there's some kind of, there's often a movement between sports. So, for example, there was a guy who I knew really well within the SFA who was in charge of the southeast region of the Scottish FA. And he's now moved on to a job with the Scottish Rugby Union. And uh, and Dave Drummond is his name. And, and Dave is thinking, why do we not have this in rugby? I've seen how well it's worked in football. So we've now recently appointed a, a, a chaplaincy development director within Scottish Rugby with the SRU, uh, Bill Sharp, who you'll know, mm-hmm. former chaplain at East Stirlingshire Football Club. And he's working with Dave to develop things in rugby. And we've already got one chaplain at Stirling County, a guy called Ben Thorpe, who's doing a phenomenal job. So that's about to really take off. Um, also, Shinty, I would say, is even further ahead. We've started to develop that by appointing chaplains in places like Sky and Drumnadrochet and uh, Tinnabruch. And so vast swathes of Scotland where football's not regarded as the national sport, but Shinty is. Mm-hmm. Chaplains is about to really take off there as well. Uh, so we've got a lot of interested clubs and I'm currently sourcing and training up a lot of chaplains for them as well. We, we've also put a chaplain in uh, a gym, at uh, a gym in Inverness, which is great. We've also we've got one professional basketball team in Scotland, Glasgow Rocks, and we've got a phenomenal chaplain in there in Brandon Newman. So really, I, I think it's it's so exciting, the potential uh, that we have to, to grow chaplaincy right throughout Scottish sport now. But much of that's down to the great work that you guys have done um, as chaplains because that's what's created the reputation and the appetite. So tell me, who who are chaplains? Simple as that. I, I, I'm not what to feed you anything, but tell me who these people are. Okay. So interestingly, when when... Sports chaplaincy developed in the early stages. As you will know, all of the chaplains were local church pastors. Mm-hmm. And it was an extension of that ministry. And, and that's great. But the vision that we had, I'll, I'll never forget, we had a, a prayer day down at Bolton Wanderers uh, Football Club with all the, the directors. And we were really seeking God about how, what the future would look like, how we wanted to grow sports chaplaincy. You know, not, not not just in the elite professional clubs, but go further down their pyramids in their respective countries. And we recognise that if we were only going to be looking at church pastors, we were going to be limited in terms of human resource. Yeah. And we really felt God say to us, now is the time to start equipping the church for this work. Look beyond the pastors. In fact, better still, get local church pastors to buy in the vision, buy into the vision and seek to look out for potential chaplains within their church. Mm -hmm. And so 
today, well over 50% of our chaplains are not pastors. They have pastoral skill sets, yeah. pastorally gifted, yeah. but they're not church pastors. And we have a, a number of churches now whose pastors really get the vision and are continually looking out for folk in the church who they think might do a job for us. And it's, it's changed the dynamics um, and it's a really exciting development. So therefore, a chaplain being called Rev isn't necessarily the case. Uh, I, mean, I would imagine that I'm either called Rev, uh, Chaplain or Pope more than <laughs> more than Davy <laughs> in St. Johnson. Uh, so what is the makeup of a chaplain then? Someone who is just a fan? You know, do I need to be obsessed about St. Johnson Football Club to be the chaplain of St. Johnson Football Club? That's a great question, Dave. Probably better that you're not because the chaplain really needs to be the emotional equilibrium at the club. And if you're too passionate a supporter of the club, sometimes the emotions can get in the way a little bit. So what I've found is, is that most of the chaplains wouldn't be supporters of their clubs originally. However, the club gets right under your skin yeah. and you really begin to get a heart, not for the club, but the people within the club. Yeah. And, and you want them to win, but because of how it affects everybody at the club. So I would say for me, I was a supporter of Partick Thistle before I took on the role, but there was a real change, a real paradigm shift with me in the sense that prior to being the chaplain, I was a supporter of Partick Thistle. Becoming chaplain, I became the supporter of everybody who worked at Partick Thistle. And you see past the player and you see the person. And I think that's really key because we're the only people probably in club life that has a non-performance related role in some respects. Um, And yeah, you're right. We're not called necessarily Rev because not all the chaplains are ordained ministers. But what we've generally found is is that the male chaplains are now called chappers and the female chaplains are often called chappy. And it's just developed. I don't know how it's come about. Some of our chaplains are called Charlie. And uh, I don't need to explain why that is. Uh, But there's a nickname associated with that. But it's usually Charlie, chappers or chappy. And and the scope of what they're doing. Um, So we are not... uh, We're not being paid... Uh, I think that would be the case for every chaplain in Scottish football. Is that right? That's correct. None yeah. of us, none of us are paid. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason for that is that I want to keep the chaplains as neutral as possible. Mm-hmm. So if you're not paid, nobody can say, "Ah, the chairman's got him in his back pocket. He's going to go back to the chairman with stories." You know, the the club then, if if finances are tight, which they often are then you don't need to worry about losing your role because of financial constraints. Yeah. So for those two reasons, for the for the sense of neutrality and to not be a burden on the club, yeah. then then none of the chaplains are paid. And uh, these men and women, when they're in there, they've got certain attributes. Uh, so the, uh, what, what are you looking for? I, I can imagine you're after a whole bunch of people to fill roles. It could be easy to choose anyone. It could be easy to choose a supporter. Mm-hmm. It could be easy to choose someone who sees being involved in any shinty football, rugby, whatever it is, club or gym, as you know, a blazer type. They, they, they've made it. You know What are you looking for? How do you differentiate whether someone should be or should not be a chaplain? 
Yeah, I think key is they need to have pastoral skill sets. They they need to be good listeners. Um, they they need to not take themselves too seriously, and not be overly religious in the sense that you know they they can relate well to in a secular environment. So, in other words, they're not put off by industrial language, or feel uncomfortable around lifestyles that would be different to a. Uh, you know, kingdom values, if you like. Yeah. So somebody that can relate well uh, to, to people that are not Christians that don't go to church. Um, they need to have a passion for people, a passion for Jesus. They have a passion for football. That helps. Certainly having a knowledge of it helps. An understanding of, of the culture, if they've had a wee bit of experience of it in the past, yeah. you know, playing, managing, even at an amateur level, these all help. But the key thing is, is really being a good empathic listener having a, a fairly good personality in the sense that, that they can be proactive and intentional relationally. So if somebody is a shrinking violet and, you know, they depend on people coming to them to build up relationship with them, it won't work. Yeah. So they need to have a wee bit of courage and belief and confidence to be able to approach people without being overpowering or overwhelming to build up relationships. Yeah. So very much somebody who's a relational type and uh, if they have a good sense of humor, that definitely helps because one of the signs that you're accepted as as the you know chappers is the fact that they'll take the mickey out of you. And uh, and I think when you when you learn when you learn the culture. So for example, at Partick Thistle, I hadn't started long with them, and as I told you, I was training with them. And our uh, club captain at that time was a, a guy called Des McEwen. And Des was a Roman Catholic, and he says to me one night after training, he says, "Rev." I don't know what your version of a novena is, but you better see one for a first touch. Yours is horrendous. Now, I'm clearly editing that a wee bit. There was some expletives in the midst of that as well. But at first I thought, oh, no, I've been found out. They know I'm not very good. But then I realised that when they start to really take the rip out of you, that's when you're in. So that's why I say you need to have fairly thick skin, not take yourself, yourself too seriously, be able to laugh at yourself and be very relational. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, I... Uh... I've got the freedom of St. Johnson. Uh, I think it's been well earned. It's been hard fought as well, but I've, I've got that freedom of St. Johnson. Is it, is it the case with every chaplain that if the chairman was to approach them or the manager was to approach them and say, Rev, tell me how what you're doing, tell me who you're speaking to, that there would be a polite, sorry, chap, uh, sorry chairman, sorry gaffer, I can't tell you. Is that the case for every chaplain? Yep. You know, when when the chaplain is appointed, it's made very clear to the players that he's not going to go running back to the manager or chairman with stories about them. Now, there has been occasions when perhaps, you know, I've if I've been asked by a chairman or manager, if I've spoke to somebody, I've said yes, but what we've talked about doesn't get shared. Yeah. And so that that's okay. There have been times when I have encouraged the, the player to go to the manager or I've even offered to go with him. There's been times when I've acted as a mediator um, between a player and, and, a, and a manager or a managing director. But we always take that neutral stance. We don't take sides. We don't get involved in the politics of the club. We're there for everybody. And I think that's really key. So that in the, in, in the sense that the chairman, the manager or the players, anybody can approach us with something they're concerned about, knowing that it won't go any further. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, there's a caveat in that confidentiality that if they indicate they're going to seriously harm themselves or somebody else, we need to escalate that. 
But apart from that, what they tell us is in confidence, and that's understood from the very beginning on appointment. Now, on a, a Friday, uh, well, my week as a chaplain uh, goes like this. I go in on a Monday for my COVID test every single week. The, the club... Um, contacted me. I've always been involved, uh, even during lockdown, I would still uh, go through all the protocols, be in contact with people, and uh, but stay distant from the, the players. But then when the club approached me and says, we want you in there with the players, Rev. we want you involved with them in their lives in this bubble. So I would get my COVID test on a Monday. Uh, I would then go in uh, for maybe just a half hour or so, sit with Great group of people, cleaners and groundsmen, and just wonderful. And a Friday, I would go in with my kit. Uh, as you say, I've got my kit sitting there waiting for me, extra large, and uh, <laughs> no extra, extra large, yet, but extra large. And and I would join in the warm up, the boxes, and be a bit of a ball boy or be in the gym with people, have lunch, uh, and and away from the club, whether it be through Zoom or phone calls. Or a wee walk, uh, I, I would connect with players and staff. And that's just a basic week. It really mm-hmm. is a basic week. And a lot of that is on my own personal time. And it's a ministry to me as much as I'm giving a ministry to the club. Is that the case for all chaplains that they are getting their gym kit on? That they are, um, or are they suits? Or are they have got their own office in the club? Tell us a wee bit about that. Okay, so certainly I don't know of any chaplain that has their own office at the club, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, if you've seen the size of some of our chaplains, you wouldn't need yeah. to second guess that they don't train with them. And and plus, we've got different age groups as well. We've got chaplains that are, you know, in their late 20s, some that are in their late 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really depends on, I suppose, the natural skill sets, depends on how the manager wants to include them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really depends on the club. They set the boundaries around what the chaplain does. Um, I think the model of the chaplain having his own kit and training with the team, that model seems to be dying out the more professional clubs become. Okay. Um, unless unless the player, unless the chaplain has been a player and has played at a reasonable level, yeah. they tend not to do that. So most of the chaplains would be glorified ball boys. That That's something that we can all do. Yeah. Um, but all the chaplains would turn up to training wearing the club jacket, you know, so they're identified as a, as a, as a member of staff, volunteer member of staff. On match days, most of the chaplains will turn up in their suits and their white ties, sorry, white shirts and their club tie. And it, again, the, the role varies from club to club. At Partick Thistle, my role was to look after all the wives and girlfriends on match days in the hospitality room. That was a really tough job. Somebody had to do it. But that was uh, that was really good. And and actually, their mums and dads as well. And, and, you know, as I got to know them, that opened up a whole range of doors in getting alongside the players as well because they would often disclose areas where the players needed support yeah. that maybe they were too embarrassed to tell me personally. So that was great. Um but it really varies from club to club and, and we don't have any set way of doing things. It's up to the club to see how they can make the best use of us. Now I've got to say that St. Johnson are one of those clubs that we would we would say are, are kind of benchmark clubs, that they really know how to value chaplaincy, how to use it. Now that comes down to your good practice. Because you've done a great job at St. Johnson, they you know, they value you, they will publicly affirm what you do. 
Um, but I think one of the things that's helped you in that is the sense of stability that there's been at the club yeah. in terms of the owner, in terms of the, the managers who have been there, the coaching staff. These are guys that you've known for many years and that makes such a difference when you can build that relationship with them because they, they, they understand you. They know, they know you personally as well as they understand your role. So I think that makes a big difference. So the access that you've got right now in terms of the COVID testing, I would say probably exceeds anybody else in the SPFL, if I'm honest, Dave. It might be something to do with the tier that you're in as well, but certainly the chaplains in the central belt, they they are struggling to get that level of access just now simply because clubs are so frightened mm-hmm. of, of having COVID. And there's obviously a cost implication of COVID testing. Yeah. Yeah. And plus the chaplains don't want to be that guy that introduces no. COVID to the club. No chance. So I think what St. Johnson are doing and giving you the COVID test is is incredible. And it shows, tells me something about St. Johnson, mm-hmm. about how much they really want to look after their players and staff. But it also tells me something about you and how much they realise your value and importance at the club. So it says a lot for both of you. Well, when Tommy Wright, who was the manager of uh, St. Johnson, uh, left as a chaplain I, I know that my days at the club could be numbered because you can have a manager come in and simply say uh, thanks but no thanks and, and I'm an invited guest I, I've said that a number of times to management I'm, I'm here only because you want me to be here and I, I've no right to be here so when I saw that it was uh, Cal and just how he was bringing in Maka who was an ex-player and, and Alec Cleland who's been there for a long time uh, was going to be his back, his staff. I, my heart just leapt because I thought, great, I love these guys, I know these guys, I've helped these guys, they've helped me. And so it was, for me, a marriage made in heaven, if I'm perfectly honest. So, but as we're just winding this up, a couple of things I, I'd like to get your point of view on. Uh, one, again, uh, for people who are thinking that, uh, for me as a chaplain, what I do is go in there and just speak the gospel, speak the gospel, speak the gospel. It'd be good if you get your opinion on that. And two, if, uh, why is this an important ministry of the church, by the church? Why is this a kingdom ministry and not people like myself who would love to have been a footballer but was nowhere near good enough? It's just like a, a dream come true for me. Why is that not the case and why is it kingdom ministry? So so first of all, it's important to point out that whilst we're pastorally proactive, we're spiritually reactive. So we don't go in and impose our beliefs. We don't go in and initiate conversations and spiritual things. But the challenge is, can we live a life that demands a supernatural explanation? Is there something about the way we treat people, the way we serve them, that speaks to them of something that is different in us and attractive in us and worth asking about. And so what I've found over the years is, is as I've simply sought to model the compassion of Jesus and, and you know, treat them the way God has treated me. Um, so whereas within football, it's very much a, a results-driven business. People are judged and valued according to their performance and results. That's not how God uh, judges us. It's not how God treats us. He treats us according to his grace and he puts that value of the blood of his son, Jesus, on us. That's the value that he places on us. So what we're doing as chaplains is we're treating people as God has treated us. We're valuing people as God values us. And we're seeking to 
model something of the value they have to God. And out of that, we trust that God gives good opportunities to share Jesus. And he, and he does. Now, just to illustrate that, I remember one time, one of our players at Partick Thistle, he said to me, Rev, do you, do you christen Wayne's? And I said, well, I do something similar. You know, I do a, a thing called a blessing whereby, you know, we believe that God's designed and created your little one uh, for, for a purpose and for significance in life. And as she gets to know Jesus and as you and your wife get to know Jesus, that will really come to full fruition. And so I kind of talked around those uh, along those lines and he said um, that sounds great Rev. he just wanted a naming ceremony let's be honest yeah. but um, I said why don't you come to my church and, and we'll do it there and he said oh I don't know Rev I don't think that I would be back because I live too far away and I'd feel a bit conspicuous standing there with all these folk that I don't know around about me if I just had a wee private thing in my house would you do it there I said yeah of course so we arranged that however the following week he came back into training and he says, Rev, I've had a thought. I want all the boys there too. And my house is too small. So I've hired a function suite in Tiger Tiger nightclub in Glasgow. <laughs> Would you do it there? Well, I thought, you're a dancer. That's perfect. I said, see, when you say you've hired a function suite, do we have that to ourselves? He said, yeah. I says, well, how about if I brought down my, my church worship band and I brought my street dance team and I brought my puppet team and we gave you a bit of church in Tiger Tiger? He says, Rev, would you do that? I says, I would. I said, what's more? I'll cancel my evening service that night and I'll send everybody else to another church and I'll bring I'll, I'll bring 30 folk from the church down and we'll join you in Tiger Tiger. And you know what a night it was because we, we had the opportunity to present the gospel in so many different ways. And at the end of the night, I'm standing at the bar with one of the, the players and he turns to me and he says, Rev, that was amazing tonight. You, you've really got me thinking about stuff, you know. I've never really been able to make a connection between you and church before now, because like, you're all right. And it, it's that way you think, oh, okay. So there is that presumption, there is that preconceived ideas that churches are just on a different planet, yeah. that Christians are weird, yeah. and that what would we ever have in common with them? And, it's, and, and I feel that what chaplaincy does is it gives the church the opportunity to build a bridge into the, the community called sport and impact it with the love of Jesus and as a result, really create opportunities. Yeah. And I think when a church sees that, you know, as, as your church has, has done, which is great, they've, they've recognised the value of your ministry. And it is a ministry. It's not, you know, it's, it's, you're not just kicking about with your pals. No, no. It's not a jolly. It's, it's cutting edge ministry it's missional and uh, and i really feel that chaplaincy is the way nowadays for churches to build bridges into communities by giving them practical tangible service which puts jesus on display by the way we speak and the way we treat people so i think it's great that you that pitlockery baptist gets this and they're prepared to release you to do that they get the blessing of having a guy coming into them that knows how to relate to the world as well and so better equip them in, into their ministries because there's a sense in which all of your church are chaplains. Wherever they are living and working, they're chaplains there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think you've uh, tied that up very nicely. You've described kingdom ministry. Uh, I don't think it even says right at the beginning that you, I always call you the chaplain of the chaplains. So you, what would be your official title be? So my, my official title is Scottish Director of Sports Chaplaincy UK. That's very good, isn't it? 
I like Sounds it. Sounds good, eh? <laughs> Are you know the only one with an office? Have you not got an office in the SFA? Or did you? So I, I, I'm also the, the chaplain to the Scottish FA, yeah. and they did give me an office, and I handed it back within about two months because I said, this is not an office-based ministry. Yeah. I need to be out and about meeting people. So what I actually did was I, I, I developed my own office. Hamden's got a, a cafe on the second floor. And so I found this wee space where it's nice soft seating and it faces the back wall. So whenever I'm meeting with people, I meet them in there. Yeah. Um, and and it's it's a wide open space. So yeah, the office didn't work. Um, I, 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 I'm not an office person. I need to be out and about amongst people. Correct. You know, Correct. so it works better that way. Well, thank you very much for joining us in our podcast. I'm sure those who have been listening We'll have an insight into a kingdom ministry that is going on all over. And you are the author of a book. Before we end, we must mention the fact that you now are an author. That's fair. Tell us a bit about it and tell them what page I'm on. <laughs> oh, funny you should mention that, Dave. Uh, yes, um, I've, I've written a book um, called Confessions of a Football Chaplain, which is part hilarious stories from a time at Partick Thistle, yeah. but also heartwarming stories of how it's developed within the Scottish game. And so if anybody wants to understand how chaplaincy works within football in particular, then they'll find out through a number of humorous anecdotes. And yes, Dave, you are in it because um, I, I celebrate the fact that even though you know you started off at Stirling Albion, you moved up to Pitlochry, we recognised that that wasn't going to be feasible. You're continuing with the Beano's, but it was just at that time that a door was opening at St Johnson, and I would have been devastated to have lost you to Sports Chaplaincy Scotland because you're one, you're our media star. I mean, <laughs> you're in Sky Sports, you're in the Glasgow Herald, you're, you're everywhere, mate. You are the acceptable face of Sports Chaplaincy Scotland, so we couldn't have lost you to this movement. So, yes, you appear in this book as, as one of the great examples of what a chaplain uh, does and what, what he... So it's available on Amazon. Excellent. Um, and uh, yeah, nine ninety nine, cheap at half the price, and uh, make a great Christmas present. I was going to say that there's still time for that to be a Christmas gift. Amazon Prime, get it the next day. Definitely. Well, we man, thank you very much. It's been great hearing some of those wee stories. Thank you, Dave. Great to speak to you.